My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to wrap up our series, What is the Church? Um, next week we're going to start a new series looking at the Old Testament prophet of Ezra, or the Old Testament book of Ezra. Ezra was a prophet who, who helped lead Israel in its rebuilding after it had spent some time in exile, after it had gone through a really difficult season, and the Lord was bringing the people back and was rebuilding his temple and rebuilding his church and rebuilding his people, and Ezra was one of the, one of the men who so oversaw that, and I think it's appropriate for us in this season that we we look at what it looks like when God rebuilds, what it looks like when God rebuilds his community, and when God rebuilds as people are coming out of a season, what does it mean that the Lord rebuilds? And so that's what we're going to be starting to look at for the next few weeks, starting next Sunday, but that's the next few weeks. The last few weeks, we've been looking at a series of metaphors that's found in scripture with, with how God describes the church. Or how, how God would describe what this is, this community, this, the, this body of believers, the, 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 the local church, the big church. What is it, what is, how does God describe church? And, and what we've been looking at to understand through these last weeks is, is why is the church important? Why is the church essential? What is the church? And why is it not okay to say, I love Jesus but I, I've got an issue with the church. Because as we've looked at in this series, and we've seen that church is not some kind of just simply also when it comes to Jesus. But we've looked at this deep connection that Jesus has to his church. We, we saw that Jesus sees the church as his bride. And that he loves the church with the greatest love possible. That, that he says, Jesus will say, there's no greater love than this. That one who would lay down his life for his friends. And, and what does Jesus do? He lays down his life for us. We, we see that the church becomes the physical manifestation of Jesus. And his work here as his body. We become the body of Christ. And so we take on the responsibility that the, the, the physical Jesus had. When Jesus said, I came to seek and save the Lord. We as the church take on that mantle when we become the body of Christ. We discover that we are the children of God. And he isn't some distant, unknown God. He's our, our heavenly father. And we discover how he loves his children. And we see how we're all sheep in need of a shepherd. And he's the good shepherd who he says will give his life for his sheep to protect and care for them. And this is why we need to understand how, it, how important it is that, that we continue to press into this idea that church isn't something that's just optional. Inside of the Christian life, when, when you are born again, when you go through this process that Jesus talks about when he talks to Nicodemus and he talks about what it means to be born again, when you're born again, we talk about how we're born into the family of God. But that new birth into this family should also be represented in the local church family as well. 
that we're born into the family of God, but that also means we need to be part of the family. That if we're born into the family of God, but we never go to any family functions, are we part of the family or not? You know, it's Thanksgiving. Families are getting together. Well, some families have that one part of the family that never comes to anything. Like, well, I guess they're part of the family, but they, they don't come. They're not a part of the family. But we need to be represented in the local church family where, where you, can know, or you can know and be known. And so the final metaphor that we're going to look at today is the church is a building. What does it mean for the church to be a building? As we've walked through this season of COVID, we, we've talked about and we've, we've said a thousand times before COVID and then it was really pushed into whether or not we believed it that the church is more than a building. And that's true. But the church also is a building. That, that this space is a church. And so what does it mean that the church isn't a building but the church is a building? And how do we understand that? Well, the, the song we sang this morning, actually, and, and what I think that we need to understand when we talk about the church as a building is that we need to understand what does it mean for the church as the house of the Lord? What does that mean? And for us to, to really understand why it's significant that the church is a building, when, when we want to understand what it means that the church is the house of the Lord, what we need to do is we need to take a look at, there's a story that unfolds all the way through scripture that tells this really interesting arc. It's the story of God's presence in the lives of his creation and how the presence of God was manifest, how the presence of God showed up in, throughout the story of the Bible, from the beginning through to the end. And we, we see at the beginning of all things, that with Adam and Eve, what we see is this incredible picture that God would seemingly, somehow, and we, we don't really know what this looked like. We don't really know exactly you know, what, what was metaphorical and what was literal when, when it says this. And we don't know exactly what it would look like. But we would read at the beginning of Genesis that God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. Now, was there a physical manifestation of the body of God? I don't know, but they could hear him. They could hear the Lord walking through the garden. And it says, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. This is right at the point of the, the story where, where sin has entered into the human condition. And, and Adam and Eve have, have, have not listened to the Lord, and they've eaten of this fruit. And so they're suddenly aware of sin. And so that's why it says they're hiding from the Lord. Uh, they're hiding among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God is walking and talking with his creation. But this, also, this moment also marks a gigantic shift in the presence of God. Because this is also the moment where sin has entered into our story. And this fundamentally changes the way that God relates to his, his creation. Where we don't see the presence of God manifested in a specific way for quite a while. What we do see is this moment in Jacob's life where he's on the run to his uncle's house because of some poor choices he's made. 
And he goes to sleep with his head on a rock and he has this dream. And what he discovers is that all night he was actually in the presence of God. He says this in Genesis 28. When, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He had no idea he was in the very presence of God that, that we saw in, in, in the beginning. God walked and talked and the people were aware that God was there. But then Jacob ends up stumbling into the presence of God and going to sleep without even really realizing it. And this is what the presence of God looks like for a time until in the book of Exodus is God's people were, were leaving Egypt and they were going to settle a homeland, but they weren't quite there yet. God commands them to build a portable home for them called the tabernacle. He, God says this, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. And then God goes on for several chapters to talk about exactly what this place was to look like and all the materials that would be used to, to build it and how it would function and, and all of these things and what everything inside of this, this building is supposed to represent. But, but it was ultimately essentially a very, very fancy and ornate tent. Um, as, as the people needed to be able to pack it up and move. When God said it was time to move, as they moved through the desert, as they waited to take the promised land, and they would move, they'd have to pack the whole thing up, move, and then set it back down and unpack it. It was essentially a portable structure. But as they, they moved into the promised land, as they, they took Canaan, as they settled their promised land, God has this tent, but... The Lord works in the heart of, of David, who, who's the new king over Israel. And, and he has this moment where, where it says in, in 2 Samuel, it says, after the king was settled, that's David, in his palace. So the, the palace of the king has been built, and God had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, that means it's opulent, it's fancy. Well, the ark of God remains in a tent. Then Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now, God actually comes into the story here and corrects Nathan and says it's actually not for David to build, it's, it's for his son uh, Solomon to build. But after then Solomon builds this temple, and this temple serves as, as the house of God, as the presence of God, where the presence of God dwelt. And if you wanted to go to find the presence of God, you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And it remained that way for a very long time, until Jesus comes into the story. And suddenly the narrative and what it means for God's presence to be with us changes again. In John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus, who, who is the word of God, became flesh and dwells among us. It says the word became flesh. That's, that's talking about Jesus. And, and made his dwelling among us. And the word in this verse for dwell is the word tabernacle. That it comes back to this tent that God was saying, I, I, need, a, I need a home, I need a place to, to live and to be. And, and so what we discover is that God himself becomes flesh and his presence tabernacled, means made its home with us. 
And what I want to show you is that through this journey, God's presence for his people after the separation of sin, it continues to go on this path of, of immediately there's distance. There's distance to the point where people don't even realize or recognize that they're in the presence of God until they're actually there. That, that Jacob had no idea that he was in the presence of God until he was in the presence of God. The beginning, the presence of God was so close to his creation until sin separated his presence from the people. But then, then the people are so unaware, but then God says, build me a tent. But it wasn't a permanent place. And then so then we build God a building. But then God comes out of the building. And he lived with his people, dwelt, tabernacled, made his home with us. But then in 1 Corinthians, Paul brings this journey all the way to a close when he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The presence of God is no longer a mystery. The presence of God isn't contained to just a tent or to a building. The presence of God doesn't just live with us. The presence of God lives in us. And what it means for us as the church that Jesus makes this promise that, that even though his spirit lives within us, Jesus makes this promise that there's something more for it. Jesus will tell us, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. The presence of God is with us. The, the presence of God lives inside each one of us. But there's more available to us. He doesn't say, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them, duh. Because I live inside of you. So where one of you are gathered, there I am, because I'm always there with you. We know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But Jesus says, when you get together with other believers... There's something significant that takes place. There's something more than just the spirit that you have living inside of you. But when people of a community of faith come together, something significant takes place. There's this other thing available to us. There's a unique manifestation of God's presence when the church gathers. There's a unique, a different manifestation of the presence of God that takes place when the church gathers gathers. That we as the church come together full of the Spirit. Each one of us has the Spirit inside of us. Each one of us come with the presence of God in us, and then we come together and experience the presence of God, and we become the house of God where the presence of God is found. Where people can come and experience the presence of God. Where God's people gather together and surrender to him, we see the presence of God making this more than just simply a building. More than just simply a couple of condo bays. But instead of the pizza place and instead of a French bakery or a place to buy, buy flooring or blinds, this building structure becomes so much more than that. Because we've gathered together in his name. We've come together in this place and this building becomes the house of the Lord. 
I want to take a look here at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and, and see what this has to say about our understanding of, of this idea of the church as a building, the church as the house of the Lord. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it will say, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's interesting because the, the imagery begins as this image of, of a building, this spiritual house that, that's being built, and this place that people are being drawn to, but to a full understanding that it's not just simply being a building, but that it's a building, both literal and also spiritual, as it's built on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Verse Verse 7 will say, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Cornerstone. That sounds like a good name for a church. If you're new to our church, you might not understand. But, but if you don't know this metaphor of what a cornerstone is, it's the first stone that was placed in the construction of a stone building that essentially everything else is built on. And without a good solid cornerstone, the whole building becomes compromised. That, that if, the, if the beginning doesn't start well, no matter how well you build off of it, the building will remain compromised. And so, as, as, so we as a church, we're, we're called to build our church and build everything we are off of this idea that, that Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is what we build off of. Jesus is where we begin. In other words, when, when we become this place where we've gathered together as people in whom the Holy Spirit has made his home and the presence of God is, is here with us, both in us and in our gathering, that as people join with us, there would be one thing that would resonate with them. One thing that they would see and that they would know. And it's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. That people would come and would be drawn to Jesus. The church is supposed to be a place that lifts up Jesus. And as Jesus is lifted up and as people are drawn to him, they also in turn are drawn out of death and into life. We're meant to be a place where people are meant to see Jesus. And to see the potential of seeing their life changed through Jesus. And so Peter saying, while we're a building and we're a group, our, our meetings, your meetings, they shouldn't be about us. It's not about who we are and, and what we are. They're not about our brand. They're not about our identity. And when we come together, it's, it's not about lifting us up. But it's about a community of people coming together to lift up Jesus. He is our cornerstone. He is the one this whole thing needs to be built on. And when we gather together in one place with, with men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God, then as we together, then as we are together and the Spirit is uniquely manifested, this is what I pray that people would see when they come to Hillside Church. 
that we're not about anything other than Jesus and experiencing his presence in our lives. I've heard this, this idea of what it looks like when people of God come together. This idea, it's called the thin space, where the distance between heaven and earth is diminished. Where people can experience the presence of God in a really unique way. Not because we're so amazing. Not because our songs are so good. Not because our preaching is so good. Not because we manifest the presence of God because of the way we do things. But because we've embraced the idea that the presence of God is here with us. That we've created a culture of expectancy. Where when we come to church, we know that we're in the house of the Lord. And that we as the people of God, we've come together and we expect to meet with our Savior. This, this is why we talked, when we talked about several weeks ago now, how we need to dispel and understand the wrongness and the evilness and the deception of the idea that we don't need church. See, I said a couple services ago that it's true that you do not need church to be a Christian. That is true. But you do need church to be a growing Christian. And it is true that you do not need the church to experience the presence of God. Because my body is at the temple of the Holy Spirit and God is with me wherever we go. That is true. But you do need the church to experience the aspects of our Christian life that can only be found in and through community. To experience what it means to be the house of God together. But this highlights a problem for many when it comes to church and the idea of church. Because what can so easily happen inside of our hearts, inside of our lives, inside of the culture that we live in that bombards us with this message is that we often see, can come to this place where we see the church as being about me. What am I getting out of this? Am I getting what I want out of church? But this is a deeply dysfunctional view of what the purpose of church is. And what our place is in the church. You are not here to get what you need. When we look at the church as what am I getting out of this? Am I getting what I need? What have I replaced the chief cornerstone with that we read about earlier? It no longer says Jesus Christ on it. It says Brad. And that ain't a good cornerstone. The, 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 it, it, scripture will talk about the, the cornerstone that the, the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. But when I embrace myself as the cornerstone, it no longer becomes a rejected cornerstone. It becomes an embraced cornerstone. But friends, it's a bad cornerstone. You are not here to get what you need. You are here to meet with the living God so that he can get out of you what he has created for you. You are not here to get what you need. You are here to meet with God so he can get what he needs out of you. 
We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. We are not here to say, okay, God, what do you got for me? Give it to me. I want it. We're here to say, God, what do you want from me? Here you are. Have it. You're not here to get what you need. See, because when we start to think about the church or even my Christian walk as about me, then we've allowed ourselves to stop seeing our faith in a healthy way. Because friends, your faith isn't about you. Your walk with the Lord, it's not about you. And church, if you follow the through line, I'm sure you can guess. It's not about you. When we talked about Jesus and his love for the church, Jesus never said, hey, just so you all know, you're all gathered here to... For our, we're, you're all gathered here for me. And Jesus didn't say, we're all gathered here for Peter. Peter, what do you want? It's not about us. Now, this doesn't mean that a church, our church, doesn't have flaws. It doesn't mean that the church can't be frustrating. This doesn't mean that we can't have issue with something inside the church. It doesn't mean that somehow if we look at the way a church, our church, this church is operating and say, that shouldn't be like that. It doesn't mean that somehow that's sin. It doesn't mean that a church can't be broken. But what it does mean is that when our frustrations with a church come through the lens of, but what about me? What about my needs? I don't know if I'm getting what I need out of this. The church just isn't meeting my needs right now. And the issues aren't things like theology. The issues aren't things like, you know, I'm feeling the leading of the Lord in my life. I, I, I feel like something needs to change. Something needs to be done. If it's about if I get what I think I need then we've made the church experience about me. And the church isn't meant to be about us. And here's the thing. When we've made the church about us and meeting our needs, you might find a church that can do that for a time. But the church isn't meant to be about us. And so that church that I love because it meets all my needs... Eventually it won't. Because your needs will change. And until we change how, or until I change how I see the church, that it's not about me, no church will be able to always meet my needs. Because the church isn't meant to be about me. And I think that this is something that's really important that we get our head around. Because when the church begins not to function as a group of people, each concerned about their own me, but instead as a collective, a family, a body, a flock of people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, then this is how we actually become the light in the darkness. That city on a hillside that the Bible talks about. Hillside. Now that sounds like a good name for a church. Where people from outside these walls can truly experience the presence of God in our community. 
that people can find their way to God because of the presence of God that happens when people are gathered together. That people are drawn, drawn out of the darkness and into the light. And this happens through the church. But when people from the community are drawn to our church, to a church, to any church, but the church isn't about Jesus, it's about me, it's about our brand, it's about whatever, our organization, our structures, our systems, our charisma may be able to keep people for a while. But when people come to a church and it's not about Jesus, it's like if someone came to your house when no one's home. That they may be able to come in, they may be able to enjoy themselves. You may have awesome snacks in the fridge and a nice big TV for them to watch. But they've missed the point of coming to your house. When people come to the church and it's not about Jesus, it's like people have come here, but nobody's home. There's this verse in Psalm 122, Psalm 122 verse 1. And it's my prayer for you and it's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for us as a church, and it's, it's my prayer for our communities as well, for, for Airdrie or wherever it is that, that you may live. It says this, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was so glad when someone came to me and said, let's go to church. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Not because of our church or our awesomeness. Not because they heard how great the, the preaching was or how cool the pastor was. But because people would know that when they come to church, when they come to our church, they would experience that electricity. The joy of the gospel going out, that people are getting saved and that God's people would be filling every space. That's my vision. That's my desire. That's my passion for the church. That, that when and as COVID restriction gatherings e or gathering restrictions finally ease again, that we would just continue to see more and more people returning to their first love. People coming out of death into life. That we would continue to see our church grow and thrive and people would be saved and baptized. I pray and believe that the best is yet to come. Jesus said that he has come, that we would have life, have life and have it more abundantly. But the abundance that he's talking about. When Jesus says, I've come, that you could have life and have it more abundantly, the abundance that he speaks of, it's not stuff. It's not possessions. It's the presence of God. It's Jesus in our lives. And I pray that your life would be a life lived out of abundance. And our church would be a church that lives out of abundance. But not just in something as temporal as financial terms. But in the presence of God. And the fruit of our presence. Prayer for our church is that the presence of God would be abundant. That we would live out of an abundance of the Lord's presence in our lives. Friends, we are not called to do this alone. We are not called to just simply be Christians. But we are called to community. We are called to family. 
We are called to a body. We are called to a church, to a house of God. We are called to be the church and to live our lives fully in all the abundance that God has for us. We can only do that as part of a local church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when you first created us, at the very beginning, when you spoke the universe into creation, and as you created mankind, you looked and you said, it is not good for man to be alone. And you created community. And God, I thank you that today you have the same view of us. It's not good for us to be alone. And so you've placed us inside of community. And God, I pray that you would help us as your children, as your flock, as your body, as your bride. To not turn all of that into something that's about us. But God, I pray that we would be able to, to know and understand that you have called us into community and we need to be a part of our community. And so God, my prayer for each one of us is that we would be able to find home inside of the community of faith, inside of, of the church, inside of this church or inside of a church. God, that we would not live our lives with a heart that would say somehow, I don't need your bride. I don't need what you've created me to be a part of. But that we would be able to find home, that we would be able to find refuge, that we would be able to find community inside of the local church. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a place where people can find home that you would help us to be the house of God, that you would help us to be a place that when two or three are gathered, that, they would, that you would come and be so manifest that, that that unique presence of God that shows up when the community of faith gets together. God, my prayer for our church is that that would be such a tangible part of who we are and what we do. That the presence of God wouldn't be something that we would hope for. That the presence of God wouldn't be something that we think, well, if we sing the right songs, maybe we'll be able to experience. That it wouldn't somehow be, well, if we just say the right things or, or if we just raise our hands high enough or sing loud enough, that somehow maybe we can conjure or manifest this. But God, I pray that we would live in the knowledge that the presence of God is here and now. And as we come together to worship, God, that we would experience the unique manifestation that takes place in our lives when we come together as a community of faith and we have the shared experience of the presence of God in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in being able to sense your presence and being able to hear your voice and that our church would be a church that would be built upon the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, we love you. And above all else, God, may our church be about who you are and what you've done for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. To the one holding the needle, to the one holding the knife. To the one Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. 
If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. To the one holding the bag to the one lost in the vapors of working hard to please fake friends To the one who seeks acceptance from the fickleness of man There is room at the cross for you There is room at the altar There is room at the pew There is room at the table A place for me and for you it's not about being someone else there's healing and being true there is room at the cross for you though millions have come there's still room for There's still room for one Though millions have come There's still room for one Though millions have come There's still room for cross for you there is room at the cross for you there is room at the cross for you